0: thankful for all of you that are here. God bless you for your faithfulness to the house of God and the plan of God. Uh, It's just good to be in his presence today and it's good to always walk in here to an atmosphere that is conducive for worship and praise and allowing God to minister to us and through us. Praise God. Uh, I mentioned it last week but we've had This fall series of lessons that I am uh, talking to you about, we've missed a whole lot of them because of part part of the time I've been out of town and part of the time we've had guest speakers here, we missed a lot of them, but uh, the whole fall session has been about godly leadership, Uh, and we've missed a lot of the lessons, Uh, we've had let me just read to you what some of the lessons have been that we've had. Uh, it was God places leadership in our lives. God's plan is better, impatient leadership, the heart of a leader, the leadership and submission, leadership and respect, leadership and peacemaking, leadership and grace, leadership and God's blessings, leadership and God's voice. Last week I talked to you about leadership and unselfish servanthood. And this week is on leadership and transition. And uh, I thought when I was looking at this lesson, uh, and I read some of the stories and some of the words that were spoken in this particular lesson, and I'm once again impressed with understanding the fact of what human nature is. Uh, Human nature and people, the situations that one church faces, uh, rarely are going to be unique. They're human nature situations, and when you deal with people, uh, you're going to find what you face, the problems you face, and sometimes you think, "Oh, my situation is very unique, and nobody's been through." But uh, it's probably not going to be true. Uh, it's more more than anything else. it's probably changes faces, but it's the same human nature, same problems, same situations, same victories, uh, the same. Uh, except for maybe geographically it's a little bit different and i was once again impressed by the fact in reading this lesson uh, and going all the way back to the kingships back in israel's time to circumstances and lives of people today uh, that human nature stays the same and uh, the circumstances and situations and uh, Uh, responses and so on, all pretty much come together. But our lesson setting today, before I get into that, I want to say, I just noticed today, and uh, with a little Papa Pride, I guess you could say, uh, not Popeye, but Papa Pride. uh, I looked looked up today, and I, I noticed there was seven young people and two moms on our praise team today, doing an incredible job. God bless them. And I look back, and the media, there were two young people in the media booth, uh, and I thank God for what God is doing, what God is raising up in this church. Uh, It's a blessing. Amen. And I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for and and I, I could go one by one and talk about these guys up here singing and uh, playing instruments and so on, uh, they all are unique in their, their expressions and uh, uh, I could mimic some of them and I just thought how precious it is to see them up here worshiping and singing and uh, enjoying the presence of the Lord and create an atmosphere for us to worship God in and I'm thankful for that and that's part of transition. We trans- transition from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. It doesn't mean that the previous generation is no longer important. It simply means that, uh, that time marches on and situations in life marches on. And there's, a, there's an old adage that I have always felt to be very true. The greatest compliment to a person's ministry is if it continues to succeed after they have moved on, Uh, and that's for all of us. And so we don't look at the uh, upcoming generation and think, well, you know, they're going to look better than me or sound better than me or be better than me, but we look at them and we think, uh, God, I sure hope they're better than I was. (laughs) Uh, I hope there's an improvement. I hope there's growth. (coughs) <coughs> I have, excuse me, I have looked at people, some of you will relate to this, some of you will just have to kind of understand a little bit of it, but I've looked at a lot of, lot of various things in life and sometimes bring it down to us, but I looked at many, many years ago I was in college, as some of these young folks are that are visiting here today, I was in college and Clyde J. Haney was the president of the college, and he was the elder, and uh, he was a great man, known as a godly man, a holiness man, a, a great leader, a man of the hills. They wrote a book about him called the Man of the Hills" because he he was uh, he lived out on a, a ranch and uh, had some livestock, and he loved the outdoors, and uh, he was a man's man, and he got he was killed in a very untimely. Uh, auto accident, um, and his son, Kenneth Haney took over from his, in his ministry and his church there. And I thought as great as brother Clyde J. Haney was, uh, he would have never been able probably in my opinion to take that church and that community to the maximum where Kenneth Haney was able to take that church to in size and growth and, and, uh, effectiveness and all of that. It was a great deal. Uh, I look at another great church that's in Alexandria, Louisiana and the elder back there CJ Mangum was a man of prayer and his wife was known as a person of prayer and they were great people and they were great soul winners but along coming behind them uh, comes their younger son who I knew as a youngster and I knew some of the pranks and some of the things he did as a young man some of the troubles he got into but along comes their son Anthony. Anthony then takes that church to uh, the greatness and takes another notch up and the church explodes and continues to grow and the list goes on and on uh, and that's the way it should be when you have someone who uh, takes the reins and keeps going Progress doesn't stop, but progress should continue and perhaps even at a faster pace. Uh, the lesson today, uh, I, I hesitate, I've thought of it several times, whether I should or shouldn't, but I think maybe because I can read pretty quickly, I may just read a little bit to you of the because the, this is the foundation of where we're going today. Uh, in the book of first Kings, the first chapter in the 28th through the 40th verses. this is the story of of King David, in uh, King David in the latter part of his reign, when there was a time coming where a successor was going to come, and uh, this will give us a little bit of the story, then King David answered and said, call me Bathsheba, and she came to the king's presence, and stood before the king, and the king swore and said, as the Lord liveth, thou that hast redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence to the king and said, Let my lord the king David live forever. And David said, Call me Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and they came before the king, and the king said unto them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and call Solomon to my son to ride upon mine own mule, and bring him down to Gilon. And let Zodok the priest, and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel, and bow thee, blow ye with the trumpets, and say, God, save king Solomon. Then you shall come after him, and he may come and sit upon my throne, for he is to be king in my stead, and I have appointed him to be under uh, to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen, the Lord my God, the king, say so too. And the Lord hath As the Lord hath been with the Lord my king, even so be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zodok the priest and Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehorda, the Shirolites and the Bethelites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon the king's mule and brought him to Gilhon. And Zodok the priest took a horn of oil of the tabernacle, anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpets, and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And the people came up after him, and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. Quite a story, but that's just a little piece of the story, and we'll we'll get into a little more of it as we go along today. But... uh, I wish, when I thought of this lesson today, I thought, well, I wish every member uh, of Abundant Life Center could be here today. And I may bomb and not make sense for it's over with, but uh, what the lesson's about and what's in my heart today to share with you, I wish every one of the members of Abundant Life Center could hear today because we are in and have been and are completing, basically, a transition. Uh, you know, I've been pastor here for uh, 48 years in a couple of months, It'll be 48 years here in Tulare, since 1972. And obviously, uh, I have been kind of trying to retire for uh, the last 10 years or more. And uh, I have been backing out, I have tried to let God evolve things in his own timing, in his own place, and and uh, you that have been around for a while know that there's been situations that are going to be so much uh, compared to some of the things I'm going to talk about today that have happened in our in our past. And in and, and all of it, sometimes we think we know where God's going. We think we know what God wants. And uh, I've even had other ministers say, well, I just assumed that this, this, and this was going to happen. And, and I've assumed the same thing. And at times, uh, we... Uh, we assume we know where the future is going, but it don't always happen exactly the way we think it might go. Uh, children grow up, and uh, pastor's age, church members continue to honor, uh, and let me just back up, and I'm going to read several excerpts from our lesson today because to me it's just, uh, it's amazing and yet uh, revealing how that uh, situations that happened, as I said earlier in my comments, uh, things that happen that involve people are rarely as unique as we think they are. And things that happen in churches and circumstances that go in churches and the political moves and so on in churches and the, the transitions that happen in churches uh, are rarely as unique as sometimes we might think they are. And... Uh, A pastor's life is entwined in the lives of the church members. They worship together and fellowship together. They share tears and laughter. They participate in trips to camp meetings and trips for camping, hunting, fishing. The church may have its ups and downs, but the pastor and pastor's family remain constant and faithful. And as the pastor ages, church members continue to honor them and remember the good times. At times, they may be be surprised to see their aging pastor preaching just as sprightly as a younger person... Elder pastors still feel the anointing of the Lord, but the same voice that speaks powerful sermons into the hearts of the aging pastor may begin to prepare the pastor for transition. Neither the church nor the pastor may truly feel ready, but change must occur because there is a time and a season for everything. And in our lesson setting today, previous to the reading where I read about uh, David had promised in the years gone by, he had promised his wife Bathsheba that her son Solomon would be the one that would be ruling and taking over the kingship after him. But there was another son of David that had other ideas. We talked about a little bit last week about Absalom decided he wanted to be king. And he rose up and tried to sway the hearts of the people of, of the kingdom. And he was able to sway them and pretty much divide the kingdom. And he pulled a lot of attention to himself. But the end result was that Absalom was not the one that God had chosen to be the next king over Israel. And Absalom ended up dying on the battlefield to the distress, to the hurt, and to the pain and the devastation that his father, the king, felt. Absalom, because he arose. And tried to usurp himself into the kingship. And it was not in God's plan. And God changed the whole scenario. And then after Absalom was gone. well, uh, And there was another son that uh, we mentioned last week. That had molested his own half sister. And he had not really been punished by David. To the extent that Absalom we just spoke of. Believed it should have been, and so he went and he killed his own brother. And so now we have Absalom that decided this Adonijah that was killed by his brother, and then Absalom, the one that had him killed, is the one that decided he's going to be king, and then he ended up getting killed in battle. And then there was another son, and I said Adonijah because that was in my mind. Uh, I forget the, uh, the first brother that was killed because of his sin. But Adonijah uh, was one of David's other sons. And he decided after Absalom's gone that he was likely positioned and likely should be the heir to the throne. And so he began to do a whole lot of what Jonathan did. He began to uh, not Jonathan what Absalom did. He began to prepare himself and the Bible says and David entered the final stages of his life his son Adonijah prepared to become the new king who, who prepared him? He began to prepare himself. He just assumed this is going to be what's going to happen after the death of his brother Ammon and Absalom he viewed himself as the rightful heir to the throne. He shrewdly sought out political connections to support his claim to be the th- to the throne by by g- garnering support of David's general Joab and the high priest Abathar. he got the military leader and he got the main priest that he began to get them to his side to get what I'm talking about Abathar, or excuse me Adonijah however He did not have the support of everyone in the kingdom. Most importantly, God had not sanctioned his rule as king. Nathan the prophet spoke up and before the situation could completely get out of control, the prophet Nathan sprang into action. As a young prophet, Nathan had found himself confronting David about his sin with Bathsheba. And although David had sinned, the prophet still recognized David as the rightful king. When Nathan had rebuked David for his adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan likely had no idea that David and Bathsheba would one day have a son whom God would choose to sit on the throne. The situation seemed impossible, but the Lord chose to honor his covenant with David despite the king's failure. As David neared his death, Nathan needed to speak to the king to ensure there would be a proper secession. Nathan was a wise man and rather than going straight forward and telling King David exactly how it should be he knew that as all of us men know that a wife has tremendous power and persuasion ability over their husband. And so the prophet went to Bathsheba And the wise and clever Nathan did not immediately seek an audience with the king. His provisions, previous dealings with David, he had learned to be shrewd. Remember, rather than confronting David directly after his sin with Bathsheba, Nathan had gone and told him the story about the man that had uh, many, many sheep and how he had stolen the one little lamb from his neighbor when he needed to fix a mutton dinner. And... David after hearing all that story then David became angry and you that know that story know that David pronounced his own judgment, saying, the man that did this is surely going to die and so he had already learned how to deal with David and he knew that Bathsheba would speak to the king and that she had the king's ear and so the man of God went to her and Bathsheba and uh, talked to her about speaking with David. Once Adonijah became king Bathsheba and Nathan feared that the new monarch would wipe out anyone that would have been a, th- a threat to his throne. That meant that Solomon and Bathsheba would probably be killed because they would have been a threat to Adonijah's reign. Solomon and Bathsheba should be at the top of his hit list. The life of her son, with the life of her son at stake and her own life in jeopardy, Bathsheba approached King David. She remembered her husband, reminded her husband of the promise he had made. My soul sweareth by the Lord thy God unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon the throne. And now behold, Adonijah reigneth, and now my lord the king thou knowest not. In other words, she said, King, husband, you don't know what's happening, but while you're thinking everything's all right, Adonijah is conniving and planning your overthrow and for him to take over the throne. And then he probably, like has already been said, on the hit list would be... Uh, and so now, behold, Adonijah reigneth, and now my lord the king, thou knowest it not. And he hath slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance, and hath called all the sons of the king... Uh, Abithar the priest and Joab the captain of the host but Solomon thy son has he not called. In other words he called everybody in for this big party but he excluded Solomon because Solomon obviously was a threat to him. She pleaded with the king to help him realize the seriousness of the situation and thou my lord she said O king the eyes of all Israel are upon thee and thou shouldest tell them who shall sit on the throne? In other words, she said, it's time for you to step up and speak and allow the people to know who shall be the next king over him. Otherwise it shall come to pass that when the Lord the king shall sleep with his fathers when you pass his away, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Uh, I already called them. They would be, simply feel like they were a threat. Nathan counseled David, perhaps worried about the king's advanced years and memory, Bathsheba, and Nathan planned for the prophet to come in afterwards and confirm the words of the first lady of Israel. Nathan appeared on the scene and questioned whether the actions of Adonijah coincided with the king's wishes. Nathan also recognized the political nature of the situation and gathered allies, although... Adonijah had the support of Joab and the priest Abathar. Solomon had the support of the military leader, Benaiah, and other, the other priest, Zodok. Uh, let me just a little sidebar here and say that, you know, one of the devil's greatest tactics in hurting and destroying the church is if he can divide the people if he can cause division, if he can cause people to take one side against the other side and and, uh, some join this side, some join that side, it's always been the tactic of the enemy because God cannot bless that which is divided. The shrewd prophet did not tell the king what to do. He did not even make the same case for Solomon that Bathsheba had made. Rather, Nathan asked the king the question, is this thing done by my lord the king And hast thou, there was a big party going on. It was ready to announce and say that Adonijah was going to be the next king over Israel taking David's place. The man of God said, Is this the thing, my lord the king, that thou hast showed it to thy servant who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? By behaving wisely, Nathan gave David time to consider the situation and not be unduly As a result, David called Bathsheba and he reassured her, his wife, that as the Lord liveth, he said, Thou hast redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Assuredly, Solomon shall reign after me and he shall sit upon the throne in my stead. Even so will I certainly do this day. 1 Kings 1, 29 and 30. God had once promised David that one of his descendants was always set on the throne of Israel. The promise was not in doubt, but the specifics were in question. Sometimes we don't know the overall plan of God, but we may not know that we, we may assume what it is and maybe not know the specifics. But what we always must seek, must seek God's will and direction during transition. The will of God may sometimes seem obvious. We may look at a situation and want to proclaim we have found the will of God. However, scripture tells us we must prove the will of God. We must also prove, the Bible says, all things. Transitions require us to go the extra mile. And I realize that I'm reading a lot more than I normally would read today, but I'm reading because it's not, I want you to understand, it's not my words, it's the words of the Word of God and it's the words of the writer here that's given us some insights into transition. To many outside observers, Adonijah may have appeared to be the logical choice to be the king. He likely had some gifts that would have helped him rule the kingdom. He could certainly look at to the good parts of his father's life and he could emulate them and be much like his father David. The Lord, however, had not chosen Adonijah to be king. The situation brings to mind David's own journey to the throne. The people had desired Saul. We all know that if you know the story. The people desired Saul. And what was, distract- what was really attractive about Saul? The Bible says Saul due to his statue. He was head and shoulders taller than the all, all the others. And as a man, head and shoulders above the rest, the people, Saul should have certainly been the one that should have fought the giant. He should have been the one that killed the lion and the bear. Israel, but instead, a young, unheralded shepherd boy had provincially arrived on the scene to steal the Philistines' thunder. And victory for Israel, the underdog, David, triumphed. Saul was, as was said, was a head and shoulders taller than others. And, and everybody says, well, yeah, he's a goodly man. He's a handsome man. He's a big man. He's a warrior. He's a, he's a great guy. And surely, uh, surely he's the one. And then along comes a need to replace Saul. And what are we looking for? Well, we're looking for another big guy, another tall guy, another handsome guy, another another guy that surely this is the one that God would choose to be the next king of Israel. But one, one by one, they went through. Uh, one by one, they went through Jesse's sons, and even the man of God said, "Surely the the anointing of the Lord is before me." And God says, "No, I haven't chosen him." The next one came. Well, this must be the one. God said, no, I have not chosen him. Finally went through all the sons that were available. And the man of God asked, is there not another? Well, yeah, we've got this one kid back at the farm taking care of the sheep. He said, immediately bring him forward. Bring him before me. And when he came before the prophet, God spoke. The prophet said, the anointed of the Lord is before thee. Arise and anoint him to be king. God not only gave David victory, but he also bestowed, bestowed his anointing upon him. Some members of David's own entourage probably did not understand the will of God. David's general, Joab, supported. And now I'm back to our story of the, moment, of the day. Their own kingdom was divided. Joab was David's general. And he had sided with Adonijah. And uh, the prophet... One of the prophets, one of the high priests had likewise sided with Adonijah and their allegiance was them and they thought surely this is the anointing of the Lord. This is the way God would have us to go. And so Joab had joined a long time ally and friend of David but now he joined Adonijah thinking he would be the next one. The failure to bolster Solomon's claim to the throne would ultimately lead to these people that joined the ranks of the wrong side to their demise. The, the, the priest that joined him lost his position and basically was set aside. The priest uh, Abathar backed Adonijah. Even though he was a man of God, Abithar did not truly know the will of God. Perhaps he relied on political instincts instead of seeking to fully understand the plan of God. His desire to remain in his position as priest in the new king's court may have clouded his judgment. In the end, his failure to recognize Solomon as the rightful heir to the uh, dissolution of his caused the dissolution or the ending of his ministry. He had shared the, the priesthood with Zodok. And during Solomon's reign, Zodok became the sole priest in Israel when King Solomon banned Abathar to his family's estate. David declared Solomon king. And the supporters of Solomon knew the will of, knew the will of God. King David heeded the advice of Nathan and Bathsheba. David prepared to declare King Solomon or Solomon to be king but he knew he would need to strengthen Solomon's tenuous hold on the throne by surrounding him with loyal supporters. He called on the prophet Nathan the one who had anointed him to be king. He called on the warrior Beniah who faithfully had served the new king just as he had served his father. They took Solomon, set him on the David's mule, the king's mule. And as a sign of his enthronement, together the prophet Nathan and the priest Zodok anointed Solomon as king over all of Israel. This show of unity by the ministry of the priest and the prophet would help to quell the opinions of the naysayers who spoke against King Solomon Whoever would reconsider, or anyone who even considered supporting Adonijah. Benaiah, this is the man now that is the head of the military, would reinforce Solomon's kingship by giving him the back end of the military. This support would be crucial since David's own general, Joab, had the respect of the troops. Benaiah, however, had his own claims to fame that showed his military prowess. Although lesser known in scripture than Joab, Benaiah proved to be more than capable, capable of leading the military for this young king. Benaiah also showed the importance of honoring and respecting the elder king while being exiled or excited about the prospects of the new king. When King David proclaimed that Solomon would succeed him as the king of Israel, Benaiah stated, Amen, Lord God of my Lord, the king say so too. And the Lord hath been with my Lord the king, even so he will be with Solomon and make thy throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. Just the handiwork of God and how God orchestrates and puts things together is amazing sometimes. Uh, David's choice, God's choice for the next king over Israel, uh, they put him out on the king's mule and the trumpets and the, the music and everything was played to say, uh, "Here is the next king over all of Israel." Meanwhile, those attending Adonijah's feast heard the commotion. Their revelry soon turned to panic as the would-be king recognized he had failed in his attempt to seize power. Adonijah's supporters quickly extracted themselves from the party. But they would not be able to remove themselves from the sticky situation they had created by backing the wrong son of David. Their lives and positions were in jeopardy. Meanwhile, the faithful supporters who, who both, of both the new and the old king looked to the future while honoring the past. And moreover, the king's servant came to bless our Lord King David saying... God made the king Solomon better than thy name and made thy throne greater than thy throne. And the king bowed himself upon his bed. In the midst of the transition, David was not forgotten. The people blessed him, yet the king likely felt happier about the fact that his son would be greater than he was. He had fought many wars, being the peace that Solomon would reap bringing about the peace that Solomon would reap. In fact, David chose the name Absalom for one of his sons because it meant father of peace. Although Absalom had betrayed his father and brought war on the house of David, the elder king felt confident in Solomon's ability to achieve lasting peace in the land. Wow. David felt grateful to the Lord and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who hath given one to sit on the throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. David would not get to build the temple, but he would get to see the man rise to the throne who would finally fulfill his dreams of building the temple that he had prepared all of his life for. The story of Adonijah's failed attempt to seize power and Solomon's ultimate rise to the throne of Israel reveals the importance of seeking the will of God. During transitions, sometimes we think we know the will of God, and sometimes it may not be exactly as we think it is. Sometimes we wait and we watch the handiwork of God. Uh, just in revelation to our own circumstances here, I, I thought as uh, I observed not just the circumstances here in Tulare, but I, I watched others and I had a, a situation that I was very, very close to where there was a pastor that uh, I'm related to uh, by decades and decades of knowing and was ready for a transition and he handpicked somebody that he felt like was, was uh, probably the one to do that. And that person ended up, chaos came about after a period of time and, and he was gone. And then uh, someone else, uh, he wanted someone that was a family member. He said, this is the one that's going to be. And I watched that situation. It's not even in this state. But I watched that situation bring chaos and loss and and trouble and anguish to the church. And and it was a, a very troubling thing for me to watch. And with all of that in my head, in my mind, and reaching... The point that I have reached over the last 15 years or so uh, made me very very cautious to say God I want your will to unfold I want your ways to unfold and I did not say and I can can come down to just be frank about uh, when I I think of the Grogan's and our pastor and uh, family they're doing such an incredible job in leading this church Uh, there was times that that I thought, well, you know, maybe that's just the natural uh, sequence of events that it will unfold. But it was never something I said, okay, this is the way it's going to be. And I remember times when I was tired and I was thinking, well, I would like to just kind of be in the background, but I had to assume uh, position and assume uh, the, the leadership and just allow things to unfold, and I watched... God Unfold Arose, and I watched as, as days, months, and even years went by and evolved, and, and I didn't just say, okay, this is the way it's going to be, but I watched this church begin to respond and uh, fall in love with, and ultimately with district officials coming here that they were elected to be the succeeding pastor of this church 100%. And I've watched the hand of God be upon them, upon this church. And I remember a number of years ago I was sitting with, with an elder uh, that happens to be a doctor and also an elder. And uh, he said something to me at that point that uh, was kind of difficult for me to fathom at the time. Because it was so far from my thinking. But he basically told me this 20 years ago approximately. Somewhere in that 18 to 20 years ago, that he felt like that, that uh, Mickey Grogan was the one that was probably going to end up pastoring this church. I had another elder, uh, an evangelist that has come here oftentimes and blessed us, and he goes all over the world, and he has a prophetic ministry. He told me, at one point, he said, "I knew many, many years ago that this was the direction." That this was going to be. And he said, you can ask my wife. I told my wife years ago, this is the direction it was going to go for this church. And during that particular frame of mind, my own thinking was completely somewhere else. But God unfolds the rose. And sometimes when we allow it to happen, we don't always understand. We don't always know how God, because God sees not just today, but he sees tomorrow and he sees the future. And we watch God unfold the rose in our lives in uh, considering the events that took place in Israel some of the readers may need to be reminded that Solomon had yet to pray for or be granted the wisdom that made him very famous at the time of Solomon's we, we think of Solomon today and who was Solomon in a sentence who was he? Does anybody follow what I'm saying? what is he best known for? Wisdom, thank you. Uh, He had granted and he's known as the wisest man on the face of the earth. Uh, But at this point that all these decisions were being made, he was still a kid. He was still unfulfilled. He had not made that fateful decision that day when... When he pleased God and God said just ask for anything you want he could have asked for riches he could have asked for our houses he could have asked for beautiful wives he could have asked for but he said I just want wisdom to lead my people That's all he wanted And because he asked for not selfishly for himself and for the things that he wanted Solomon asked for wisdom to lead the people of God and after that he made those Some decisions, some that we're aware of, like when one, the two women that one uh, laid on her child, a newborn child, and it died and she stole the other one. They were fighting over who was the mother. He said, someone, he said, just bring a soldier, come. He said, give me a sword. I'm going to cut him in half and you're going to get half and you get half and that way uh, you'll both be happy. And the mother who had stolen the child was willing to take half. But the true mother said, oh, no, 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 no. Rather than cutting the hat, I would rather my child go with her. And Solomon said, okay, I know who the mother is. And he gave the... That was the wisdom that Solomon had. But he had not reached that pinnacle at this point. At that point in time, he was looked over. It was assumed that Adonijah now, with the absence of of Absalom and the other one, uh, that... It was time for him to assume the position of kingship and it fell by the wayside because God had another plan. And then of course because of that, because of God's plan and God unfolding the rose, uh, Solomon in his childhood, in his youth, before he ever gained the wisdom that we know Solomon for today, he was anointed. And proclaim to be the next king over all of Israel. Transitions can prove difficult, even in the, even in the kingdom of God. Churches put a great deal of trust, and this is the conclusion of the lesson. Where what I'm reading to you right now is is kind of at the end of the lesson, just giving some thoughts and ideas. It's called internalizing the message. Transitions can prove difficult even in the kingdom of God. Churches can be a in a great churches put a great deal of trust in pastors. And many leaders have served faithfully for many years. The new pastor, no matter how talented or anointed, often faces an uphill battle in gaining the acceptance. Family members of the former pastor may remain in the church even though the family attempts to manage the situation the transition may feel like a loss which may turn into grief. Hurt feelings may give way to anger and misunderstandings. Sometimes these feelings may lead to church members to defect. In one such, one such situation, church members participated in an annual Sunday school evening spring banquet, but they did not even return to the church the next day. They chose to quit attending the church after the celebration and never never returned. While many of them have felt justified in leaving the church because they had disagreements with the new pastor, they failed to realize the impact they had on their fellow church members. Those who showed up the next Sunday morning not only saw fewer, saw a few more empty pews, but they also felt as though those friendships had dissolved overnight. Those who decided to continue attending the church felt torn between being loyal to the church, the pastor, and being loyal to their friends. In some cases, converts will see friends, mentors, and spiritual leaders leaving to join a new church. They will feel conflicted should they stay or should they go. This scenario reflects a sad reality, particularly for members of generation X. Some of them saw several church splits. Members of this generation who heeded the call to ministry sought pastors of their own. They left steady steady jobs and safety to comfort of their own homes and churches in order to assume the mantle of pastor. These new pastors often served under the senior pastor or a bishop who had called them to be united in ministry. Unfortunately, many of these transitions did not work out. Not every situation ended in disaster. However, some transitions worked quite well. The passing of the baton proved most effective when the senior pastors had prepared themselves financially, spiritually, and emotionally for retirement or for the office of the bishop. They also avoided any hint of Partisanship, their successors acted with humility and respect honoring the former pastor while recognizing the need to move the church in a new and positive directions. The change also required the churches to be accepting of new pastors, appreciating the work of the former pastor while giving the new pastor the opportunity to make changes and press forward even if the new pastor did things differently. As long as the new pastor stays true to the apostolic message, churches should support the ministry of the pastor. Church members should be on guard for those who might try to sow discord among and during the transition. They should also be aware of their own personal feelings. Sometimes a connection to the previous pastor may lead church members who have difficulty fully trusting the new pastor. They should realize that trust can take time to build. Nevertheless, the church should give the new pastor the benefit of the doubt and consistently pray for the will of God. Many churches spend a great deal of time in prayer and fasting as a pastoral election nears. Some churches may believe the work of pastor is done once is done once the new pastor is elected. The reality that prayer and fasting should continue. Church members should partner with the new pastor in prayer. They should seek to build up the new pastor. They should recognize the offering or the differing style of leadership and personality. And that they are not the grounds for rejecting the new pastor. In fact, God may have chosen a new pastor for such a time as this. While, While the former pastor is ministering successfully in his or his own, er, her, her era, a new style might be necessary to guide the church into a positive future. Wow. When I, when I went through this lesson, I, I just thought, you know, what a message that is amazing. Again, as I said a little bit earlier... It's amazing that uh, situations that there's you that have been around for a while, I'm sure heard all kinds of things in this that you can relate to in the events of the years, the last few years of this church. And to understand, this is not some exclusive deal that's our own little situation. It's human nature. And the things that happen with people and the things that happen with situations and the things that happen with personalities uh, are are not unique in themselves, but it's part of human nature. We go all the way back to the story of David, and David's uh, almost was clueless according to what the man of God saw and what his wife Bathsheba saw, that they were things that were going undermining, that were going on, that he wasn't even aware of. Uh, and it was brought to his attention by the man of God and through the wife that there needed to be something established, that there was Clear and decide, decideful direction for the future. And I could obviously comment a lot more, but I I think this lesson and what I have read to you has the comments have are not really necessary. That the bottom line for Abundant Life Center is uh, I give honor to Pastor and Sister Grogan and. I appreciate the honor that they have given back to me. Uh, and I said it, I believe, last week, that said in here just a few weeks ago on Pastor Appreciation Day, and I have been through that several different times where adoration and, and acclaim and, and compliments was given uh, almost, it seemed like some people were worried about that I might be feeling left out and I might be feeling... Like, you know, we're getting all this praise and, you know, all the years that I've been here and, and my name not coming up. And, and I want to say it once again that that is part of the transition. And I am absolutely, totally, 100% comfortable with this church taking the honor and the distinction and the praise and the respect uh, following the man of God that God has orchestrated and brought to Abundant Life Center and I in no way feel threatened and I will assure you that Pastor Grogan has over and over and over again showed all the honor and all the respect that was due that was coming toward me and I have felt very, very honored both my wife and I by the Grogan's and they have my 100% support as godly leaders for this church family and I'm so thankful for them And I understand that, go ahead, that's just fine. I said that primarily because I want you to understand that I'm very comfortable where I'm at. And I have said even about me teaching here on Sunday mornings that I serve at Pastor Grogan's discretion. And uh, I'm here today speaking to you because of him deciding that's what he wanted and that's what he felt was appropriate for this time. It can change in any moment, any time, in any week, and I'm very comfortable. Uh, I've often thought that with various things that happened that there's so many other ways things could be done, and I have been blessed with an incredible church for a lot, a lot, a lot of years. I came here in 1972, and uh, there were some tough times in the ensuing years that followed, we started having a revival, and new people started coming in the church, and we were blessed, and we'd gain some and lose some, and we'd gain some more and lose some more, and, and but we had steady growth. It brought us all the way to the point of raising funds and being able to build this beautiful facility, and uh, it's a it's a it by itself is a, a to me a trophy in this community and for the name of Jesus Christ in this community. But along the way, this church has always honored and respected and given so much to Sister Abbott and I. And I am so thankful for all those years and I've had enough acclaim and enough being put on a pedestal, enough of nice things said about me to last me for the rest of my life. And that's not to say that I wanna be treated ugly but I want—I would say that I am very grateful and still for the honor and the respect and uh, the title bishop is not a title that I acclaimed for. Uh, to me, Papa is probably more appropriate for me personally and I understand the, the business of things but uh, I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for this church and I'm grateful for the love that this church has shown to Pastor and Sister Grogan and to their family. And so God bless you today. Uh, this is kind of uh, something that I didn't uh, cook up and plan to do today, but it just so happened that that's today's lesson that I just gave to you. And uh, and this is a lesson that is shared all over the world with this particular thought. And you know what? It finds its place that it fits in Situation after situation because, again, I say we're dealing with human nature. We're dealing with transition. We're dealing with things that whether it's a transition from one king to the next king or from one CEO to the next CEO or uh, uh, somebody said it this way, just in the last few days I heard someone say politically and it's talking about on the political front which there's a lot of stuff there we don't want to get into. But uh, when... The way one United States president does is one way, and the next one is going to do it somewhat different. And they were both my presidents, and one of them may choose to do it totally different. But sometimes when a new president comes in, uh, we've had in the big news, you that follow news recently, we had an ambassador that was released from her position. And there's some people raising all kinds of fuss about him relieving of an ambassador of her position until someone goes back and realize that the previous president, President Obama the day he took office released every ambassador in the world and appointed all new ones for himself it's just part of the transition, one person does it a little different, they have a different group around them and you know one of the amazing things that I, I see and that I even noticed today in seeing our uns uh, up here leading worship and praise, and and seven young people out of nine were up here, singles, were up here leading worship and praise, and two up in the sound booths. So nine young people leading here today, and I thought, you know, how beautiful it is that, you know, from one generation to another, and God... Uh, sometimes when someone moves over, someone else steps up. If someone falls by the wayside, somebody else steps in that position. And sometimes there are talents and there are abilities sitting right here among us that we don't really recognize and know because someone else is shining. But when that person that's shining dulls or moves on, somebody else fills a spot and we think, wow, uh, we, have, we have gone on trips before, like a few times we've taken a bus and like go to Arizona and take thirty ladies or thirty men or whatever the case may be and or go to a camping trip and all of a sudden new bonds are formed. People have sat and rotten the very same church and not really known somebody else, but we're thrown in a bus for uh hours and hours and hours or thrown on a, maybe on a camping trip, sitting around a campfire and find out, you know, I've got a lot in common with this guy or this gal and new friendships are formed. And sometimes transition, it's an opportunity for new folks to step up and stand tall and be effective and be a blessing for the kingdom of God. Let's stand.